0: reading this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 to 21 and that's on page 1146 of the Blue Church Bible. That's page 1146. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 to 21. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes." He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have, become, you have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly." We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, you, Martin. Running out of space. Let's pray. Oh Father, having heard your word read, please now apply it deeply to our lives. Amen. Amen. About 20 years ago, James Lawrence at CPS, that's the Church Pastoral Aid Society, which is the oldest evangelical sort of home mission in the Church of England, wrote this book called Growing Leaders. And he was also designing a leadership course at the time. He says this in the introduction. One of the chief characteristics of healthy, growing churches is leadership. It isn't the only mark of a healthy church, but it is a vital one. Leaders shape the church for good or bad. It's not that Christian leadership is an end in itself, or that good leadership will definitely lead to church growth, but leadership is a key factor in the spread of the gospel. Models of leadership, church and evangelism, that have worked well in the past are under question. And many are rethinking such models in order to engage with a rapidly changing world. And over recent years and even recent months, we've seen a number of leadership casualties, both in the United States and here in the UK, based often on models of church leadership, which are beginning to look a bit outdated and flawed. And we need, says Lawrence, to grow more leaders, and we need more growing leaders, Those who are growing in their sense of calling, in their Christ-like character, in their competence. And every church needs to ask itself, how is it doing that and how will it do that? We cannot grow the church here in Chesham without growing our own leaders. And dare I say that there is real potential here at Emmanuel to do that in a way which not just bless Emmanuel, uh, but the whole parish. Be wonderful. I mean, one of the things I think I see is is, uh, a strong clergy team, but actually, uh, in terms of lay leadership, there's real opportunities to grow and develop. Growing leaders lies at the heart of our Bible reading this morning. The church in Corinth has a number of people who are in leadership positions who seem to be rather fond of themselves. They are, are described in our reading as boastful and arrogant people who used their wealth and education to influence others to their way of thinking. And their doctrine had gone awry. They believed that they had already received all the riches of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, that wealth, health and happiness was theirs to enjoy here and now, not something to look forward to in heaven. That the Christian life was one of continuous victory over sickness and sin. These were leaders who weren't growing in their leadership, but rather bringing the thinking of the world into the life of the church, who were adding to the gospel in ways that didn't match up to everyday experience, certainly not Paul's own experience of the Christian life. And in response, the Apostle Paul highlights two characteristics of his ministry, which he urges the Corinthian Christians to value and their leaders to copy if their leaders are to grow into genuine Christian leaders. I urge you, says Paul, to imitate me. If you want to know what authentic Christian leadership looks like, look at me, says the apostle. Look at my life and my example. Just as you might want to become a great dancer, you might try and copy Anton de Beck, or a great footballer. You might, dare I say, want to copy Harry Kane, or whoever your favourite footballer is. So Paul says, imitate me copy me, grow to be like me, I can show you how it is done. So let's look at these two characteristics of a genuine Christian leader that Paul points the church in Corinth and all Christians everywhere to. Firstly, we see that Christian leaders live to serve. Christian leaders live to serve. Verse 1 of chapter 4. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. A growing Christian leader is someone who is less and less self-centred, less and less needing others to serve them, and looks more and more like a servant, more and more like a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word used here for uh, servant refers to an attendant, the sort of person who would take your coat at a posh party, someone who perhaps who would help you... uh, hold up your coat so you can put your arms through it and uh, you know you think this is, really isn't necessary I, I know how to put on a coat but somehow you feel sort of a little bit sort of honoured that some another human being would, would, would honour you by doing that and holding up a coat for you. It's that sort of picture of a servant. We also have in our mind the, the picture of a trustee, a charity trustee or or a bank manager in whom has been entrusted something very valuable. Christian leaders says Paul, have a responsibility to hand on intact to others what God has revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those are the mysteries of God that he has revealed. So their job is not to be original, it is to be proved faithful. It is not to be served, but to serve, as King Charles reminded us at the beginning of his coronation. And an older minister once gave me some wise advice when I was a curate about being a church leader. He says this, I tell my church that I am their servant, but they are not my master. That position of master is filled by Jesus Christ himself. For Paul, it's Jesus and Jesus alone to whom he must give an account. And amazingly, he found that that freed him from the constant worry about what others thought of him. I care very little, says Paul in verse 3, if I am judged by you or indeed by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So Paul lived for an audience of one and encourages us, his readers, to do the same. Only the law can bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the true motives of the heart. And if we're the sort of person who constantly craves affirmation and approval from others, here is the antidote. Only one person's approval really matters, that of the good Lord above. Live for what he will say to you on the day of judgment, not what others will say to you now. That's how I live, says Paul. And Apollos, another senior leader, they knew and valued. It will stop you getting puffed up when you receive praise and adulation in this life. It keeps you humble. To help illustrate all this, Paul takes us, if you look at verse nine, to the biggest state occasions of his time, the victorious Roman processions. I don't know about you, but I do like a grand state procession. It was great to watch the marching bands as they went down Whitehall and the the mall three weekends ago at the coronation. Roman processions were a little different. The triumphant general would be honoured as they returned to Rome. They'd expanded the empire. And the general would ride through the streets with a gold uh, laurel wreath on their head, a purple toga embroidered with gold. His face sometimes painted red to make him look more godlike. And his treats would go before him unarmed. Uh, looted treasures would be pulled along in carts. Captive soldiers and their families would shuffle along in their chains many heading for death in the Colosseum in the next great show. That's us, says Paul, there at the end of the procession, in the position of least importance, condemned to die in the arena. It's quite a picture, isn't it? When we're thinking of authentic Christian leadership, we're not to think of those held in high regard in society, have uh, ranks of honour, lords and ladies. We're to think of the lowest of the low, we're to think of the scum of the earth. One thing I'm doing with, with, with Liz as she, she recovers is walk around Lowndes Park uh, every day. And I've noticed there's a lot of scum in the pond. A lot of scum in the pond. That's how we should think of apostles, he says. we should think of them as the garbage that gets put out with the bins on a Thursday night. We're to think fools for Christ. Not strength but wisdom. Not, honor, but dis- not strength but weakness. Sorry. Not honour but dishonour to this very hour, says Paul, verse 11, we go hungry, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we are homeless. Why would anyone want to go through all of this? Because Christian leaders live to serve. Christ, our master, asks nothing of us that he has not done himself. He walked in a procession with a cross on his back. He received the scorn and ridicule of the crowd. He died thirsty, naked, and beaten. So how about you? You may have a small leadership role here at Emmanuel, or a large one. Or maybe you're just starting out on the Christian life and haven't quite found out where your your role might be. Do you live to serve? Do you live for the praise of others? Or do you live for an audience of one, the good Lord above? On the one hand, it seems very costly to go with Paul on this. But on the other hand, it's wonderfully freeing. Who of us could honestly say, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. Sometimes it's that inner critic that beavers away, placing burden after burden upon us. But Paul, on the other hand, has a clear conscience, which is a treasure worth more than rubies and gold. Christian leaders are growing leaders, and here is an area where we can all grow. And what does living to serve look like in practice? Well, Paul gives a few examples. It involves, verse 12, not being afraid of hard work. Serving will require our time, our energy, our money. And when we are cursed and reviled, it involves seeking to bless in return. When we are persecuted, he says, it involves learning to endure. And when we are slandered, our name gets trounced in the press. Well, it involves answering with kindness. All over the world, Christian leaders live to serve just like Paul. That's our first point this morning. And it's very challenging, but it's wonderfully attractive. The second characteristic of Christian leaders that Paul highlights is that they think like parents. So Christian leaders Think like parents. Verse 14, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So when Paul thinks of uh, the church of uh, Corinth, he thinks of himself as their father and them as his children. So Paul is not simply an evangelist, keen to preach the gospel and move on. Paul cares deeply for the Corinthians, just like a father would care for his child. Christian church is not, for Paul, a club to which we belong or an institution we attend. It is a family, the very family of God. Paul became the Corinthians Christian's father through the gospel, he says. It's as he preached the saving message of Christ that Many come to put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Some were Jews, many were Greeks, but he saw them all as his spiritual children. We don't know if Paul had any children of his own. And many today, I suppose, that's a hard burden to share, isn't it, to bear in our lives. But he did have hundreds of spiritual sons and daughters and he cared for them deeply. Like any parent, he wants his children to learn what he has learned, and he urges them to imitate his way of life. To do that, he sends them Timothy, another one of the sons that he he loves. Timothy is there to remind them what their father the faith has taught them, which is just the same he's taught every other church. Paul, you see, thinks like a parent. He wants to nurture and develop the Corinthians' faith. He sets the example for the Corinthians to follow. Imitate me, he says. He can't be there with them in person, but he hopes to be with them soon. So he's sending them in the next best thing, Timothy, who will model what Paul models to them. But Paul has heard some worrying things. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, he says. Like rebellious teenagers thinking their parents are away and they're not likely to come back soon and they can throw a party and trash the house and live as they like. They suddenly think, well, it doesn't matter. What Paul's not coming. He's not going to be seeing what we do. We can do what we like with the church. We can be Christians in whatever way we want. But Paul says, no, I am coming if the Lord is willing. And when I come, well, what will it be? Will it be with a rod of discipline or a loving, gentle spirit? The choice is theirs, he says. But more than that, Paul really wants to see for himself whether these church leaders in Corinth have spiritual power they claim to have. For the kingdom of God, says Paul, is not a matter of talk, but of power. And that's really interesting because when it comes to power, what Paul has in mind is not the miracles, he says, that the Jews uh, sought, nor the ability to move a crowd with a, a well crafted talk that the Greeks valued. But actually, the power that Jesus showed when he laid out his life in obedience to the will of God. What Paul has in mind is the power that ups and sticks and travels to the other side of the world. The power to see in the life of someone like Hudson Taylor to leave behind England behind uh, in the 1800s and become the first inland missionary to China. The power that moved at Gladys Aylward that saw her leading hundreds of children through a war zone and even stopping a riot in a Chinese prison uh, uh, during the the rise of communism in China. The the power seen in the life of Festo uh, Kivangeri, the Ugandan Archbishop who stood up to the dictator Idi Amin, which ended up costing him his life. I find it's a wonderful encouragement to read those stories of the worldwide church uh, and those missionary stories uh, to, to show us what real kingdom power looks like. We find it in those sorts of lives. The power to move and sacrifice. That's the sort of power that Paul is looking for when he comes to Corinth. So Christian leaders then think like parents. And being in Christian leadership, it's not about the prestige that might be associated with it. It's not about your ministry. It's about the people. It's about being a channel of spiritual life to others. Sometimes people say to me, I don't feel my ministry is being given full scope. I think I should be doing more up front. And I always want to say a growing leader is someone who looks away from themselves and asks rather, how can I serve? How can I be of help here at Emmanuel? So how do we become spiritual parents? Well, Paul says it comes through the gospel. Sharing the gospel with others, leading others to Christ, nurturing the faith. That's something we can all do. So it begins perhaps just with this praying, Lord, give me that privilege of being a spiritual parent to one other person. And it can start at school. It can start in our workplace. It can start in uh, toddler groups. It can start in all sorts of places. So to conclude, the church here in Chesham needs to grow more leaders and it needs more growing leaders. Leaders who live to serve and leaders who think like parents and long to see new Christians born and nurtured. So is that you? Could that be you? In a lay capacity or maybe in an ordained capacity? it has been a while since the churches of Chesham raised up ordained leaders to bless the wider church. Uh, to, to finish with the final uh, sort of story, I, I grew up in a church um, uh, called Christchurch Beckham, the other side of, uh, of London. And it's uh, sort of the other side of the sort of Bible Belt, I suppose. And wonderfully, through that church, I became uh, a Christian and through the youth group there. And about 20 years ago, they had a, um, uh, a get together for all of the people who'd become who were, uh, became into full time ministry. Uh, either ordained ministry or missionaries other parts of the world. And they got them all together uh, after 40 years of the youth group. And there were 40 uh, full-time people in ministry from that one youth group who'd gone out over those years. And there's no reason why that couldn't be true for here here in Chesham as well, uh, where churches are praying and faithful, thinking, actually, let's, let's be churches that raise up leaders, uh, that bless, not just us locally, but also the parish and the wider church. Well, I'm going to pray that's true for for you here. Let's pray together. Father God, would you raise up leaders from amongst us who know how to imitate the Apostle Paul, Christian leaders who who live to serve, and Christian leaders who think like parents. And Lord, just help us just to begin to, to desire that if that's your calling upon our lives, Just help us to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am to serve. In Jesus' name.